Welcome to the Anchor Church Podcast. Each week, we'll bring you the teaching from our central campus. We hope it's an encouragement to you. Thanks for listening. Good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. Well, as Brian said, my name is Mason. Uh, I'm the church planting resident here at Anchor. If you don't know what that means, that's okay. I don't either. Um, no, I assure you I do. Um, that means that me and my family, my wife Cambria was in the front row. I don't know where she is now. Perhaps, yeah, anyway, Cambria will come back in here. She's beautiful. You know her when you see her. Um, us and then our kiddos uh, are here kind of spending an intentional season at Anchor in prayer and preparation uh, for our upcoming church plant next year, uh, which we're affectionately calling Anchor South right now. Really exciting. Um, I want to officially kind of invite you to our first info meeting. Not kind of invite you. I am inviting you to our first info meeting. Uh, It's a week from today, Sunday, February 19th, 7 p.m. Right here, we're going to be in the crow's nest. This is a great opportunity for you to just come and hear more vision about the church um, hear kind of where it's going to be and what it's going to be like, and then to meet some other people who are also kind of interested. Anybody's welcome to come to this. Specifically, I'm thinking of people in South Tacoma, Lakewood, people living on JBLM, people in DuPont, Stillicum, down to Olympia, anyone who's kind of in that South area, uh, we would love to see you. And if you are going to be there, please do register on the events page so that we kind of know how, many, how much food to prep for, for snacks and everything. I hope to see you at that. Like I said, uh, my wife Cambria and I, we've been here for about a month in residency. We have a couple kids as well. Our daughter Mila is four. Our son Samuel is two. Uh, they're going to be five and three in June. Their birthdays are like a week apart. And then like the next week or two after that, we're due with our third. So it's just like boom, 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 all at the same time. Cambry's birthday's in June too. So that's just the month I go broke. Like everybody's birthday now <laughs> is right in that month. Um, so yeah, our, our two kiddos uh, and then our one on the way. We're really excited to be a part of this church family and to be a part of what God is doing in this city through many different churches and expressions. Um, this one being one of them. So we're excited to be a part of the Anchor family. Uh, let's get into today's text. If you don't have a Bible... That's totally fine. All the words are on the screen today. If you do have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in verses uh, 35 through 45. Mark 10. As you flip there, let me ask you a question. Uh, Have you felt hopeless yet? New years are so full of optimism and excitement for what's ahead and the goals that we have and the things we expect God's going to do and all of that's good. I'm, I'm right there with you. But it's like by February, things are really real. Like what do we do with all that hope and excitement when thousands die from an earthquake? What, like what do we do when our political system falls short on like national television what do we do when we're living in a city that has an increasingly high crime rate or when the marriage feels rocky or when the kids are growing up too fast and we're worried about them? When we're single and we don't want to be or when the money's tight? When the issues in our family feel like a crushing weight? When the anxiety is keeping us up at night? When we lose the job? When sickness and death hit way too close to home? Have you had a moment yet where you felt out of control? When you have felt hopeless, when fear has crept in. 
in total transparency, my family and I have. There's things happening in our extended family that have just, they've caused some sleepless and anxious nights. Have you felt anything like that yet? If you haven't, that day's coming. Um, I'm just here to encourage you. Like, that's not something we need to live in fear of, but those days come and go. And if you're right in the middle of a day like that right now, maybe you're right in the middle of a season that feels like it's filled with anxiety, uh, or you're, like you're just grasping for hope, looking for answers. If you're in a season like that, number one, I want you to know that you, you have a community here at Anchor who wants to rally around you. I also want all of us to know whether we just need to tuck hope in the back pocket for that future day or whether we need it like right now. There is something for all of us in Mark chapter 10. There is something for all of us in Mark chapter 10 because the story that we're reading today is not just a story. It's what C.S. Lewis called a true myth. The story of the gospel, C.S. Lewis called the true myth. It's a story that's absolutely true. And the story here in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 through 45, is an ancient story, but it's an absolutely true story. And it's filled with potential to give hope and encouragement to people like you and me who desperately need it. So we're going to jump in. There's three things that I'm going to point out, kind of three main points that I see in the story today. I'm calling them the request, the ruler, and the ransom. Let's start with point number one, the request. Mark 10, 35. It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Let's push pause already real quick right there. Who are James and John? Why does their dad have such a rad name? Um, I can't, I won't answer the Zebedee part. I, it's just cool. Maybe our third born will be Zebedee. I don't know. Um, James and John, if you don't know the story of James and John, they're, they're brothers. They're fishermen. Uh, fishing is common trade in the time of Jesus, common trade today in different parts of the world. Fishermen who are working long hours in the heat or at night to avoid the heat. They're blue collar guys. They're probably making very little money. And if you've heard the story, Jesus approaches them as their boat is like docked. There comes this day where Jesus walks up and they've kind of heard of this guy who's making some waves, this guy named Jesus. And Jesus literally calls them out of the boat. James and John, come and follow me. Big promotion. So they get out of the boat and they're like, okay, we're gonna follow this Jesus guy, like literally walk with him. What we need to remember is that Jesus had hundreds of disciples, hundreds. But of those like hundreds of disciples, he chose 12. And there's something really important to note there. Like in the Old Testament, the temple or the tabernacle, the place of God's presence would be kind of centrally located with the 12 tribes of Israel around it. The 12 tribes of Israel literally and symbolically putting themselves around the presence of God. And then Jesus comes on the scene and he doesn't invite 11 to join him making 12 total and Jesus like, hey, we're gonna rally around the presence of God. Jesus is actually, I'm gonna put all 12 of you around me. So Jesus is making a statement there just in that choosing of 12 that would not have been lost on the original audience. of Like what kind of claim are you making, Jesus, about your own divinity? And then out of that, so we got the hundreds and then we have the 12. Out of the 12, Jesus had like a MySpace top three. If anybody had one of those back in the day, a lot of you were like, I've never heard of that. Um, that's a uh, long story. So Jesus had like three. He had the hundreds, he picked 12, and of the 12, Jesus had three. Three that were really close with him. They got like full access to everything Jesus. And these three were Peter, James, and John. 
Now, if you've not been following our sermon series or following us in Mark, that's totally fine. But if you've heard the story before, or if you've not, I'll catch you up a little bit. Peter just recently made a little bit of a fool of himself. On the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter said some things and did some things that were just a little bit silly. So perhaps, this is just important to keep in mind today as we're reading, there's a chance that James and John, these two bros, are like, hey, maybe it's kind of like us two and Jesus now. Like, I, I wonder if Peter's still part of this thing. Maybe it's us two brothers and then like Jesus. One more point of context as we keep reading. Uh, we're starting in verse 35, but in the verses right before this in the story, Jesus just predicted his death. What's interesting is this isn't the first time Jesus did this in the Gospel of Mark. So he's actually predicted his death twice. And the other two times he's predicted his death, scholars point out this pattern that Jesus will predict his death. I think we have a slide for this. He predicts his death. The disciples completely don't understand what's happening. And then Jesus is like, okay, I got to give you a teaching on discipleship. So that's happened both times. Now, what just happened is for the third time, Jesus predicted his death. So if the pattern holds true, what we're about to see is the disciples totally missed the point. And then Jesus like, I guess I have to teach you more about what it means to actually be my disciple. So with that, let's jump back in. James and John came to him, Jesus. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. It's interesting that they call him teacher. Jesus absolutely was a teacher. Jesus was a rabbi. But like I said, he, Jesus has done this really like bold thing in that culture of surrounding these 12 around him, making some claims there, maybe about his divinity, certainly about his authority, perhaps about the fact that he's king. Not only that, but like I said, he's, he's given a couple kind of predictions of his death, but along with those, he's hinted at his resurrection. So absolutely, Jesus is a teacher. He's also setting himself up as the king who has power over death. And then you've got James and John, these two undrafted free agents who are like, they get to be with him. And it says that they came to him and they said, teacher, what do you, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is kind of like when, when my daughter comes to me and is like, Dada, before I tell you what, I want you to say yes. Like, a, there's a, like, that's a little bit of what they're getting at here is like, Jesus, whatever we're about to ask you for, we want you to do it. And, and we laugh, but there's a little bit of boldness here at best and maybe ignorance at worst. After all, Jesus is a king. How does a king respond when somebody comes into, the, into their presence with that kind of ignorance? Look at how Jesus responds. Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? Do you hear the love? What kind of king? What kind of king asks, what do you want me to do for you? That's not what kings do. Kings come to tell people what to do. Kings rule with an iron fist. This is America, right? We don't like kings because they're oppressive. We've spent our entire history getting away from kings. And here's Jesus. But he's a different kind of king. He asks, what do you want me to do for you? This king takes requests. This king's ear is bent towards his people. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asks. And I wonder if he's asking some of us the same thing today. And look at how James and John answer. 
They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's James and John for, you can have the main throne, but can we have the like medium-sized ones? Can we like co-rule with you? Like you can be king, you can be number one. Can we be number two and three? I think Peter's kind of out of the picture at this point. And Jesus says in verse 38, you don't know what you're asking. You don't know what you're asking. Remember the pattern. Jesus predicts his death. Then the disciples don't understand. We have arrived. Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. Can we sit on your left and your right? And Jesus says, you don't get it. He says, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Now, there's some disagreement in scholarship about what exactly Jesus is alluding here to. Uh, some say the cup is the cup of wrath that Jesus takes on the cross. Some say the cup is the cup of Jesus' blood poured out in like a communion moment. There's pretty good agreement about the baptism part, that there's probably an allusion there to Jesus' burial in the earth. Whatever it is that Jesus is getting at here, it's not what James and John think it is. They want to sit on the left and the right. Jesus says, can you drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Here's the scandalous reality that in Mark 15, just five chapters later, Jesus will be enthroned. But he's not going to be enthroned on a seat of gold. He's going to be enthroned on a cross of wood. And he's not going to wear a crown of jewels. He's going to wear a crown of thorns. Jesus is saying, you don't realize what you're asking for. Like You can drink this cup. You can, you can have this baptism and you can picture these brothers in total ignorance. Verse 39, we can, they answered. <laughs> yep, we got it. <laughs> Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they've been prepared. Interesting words from Jesus there as we look back in Christian history. Because as it turns out, James and John, after Jesus' resurrection, would experience a ton of persecution. James would actually be one of the first Christians to die for the faith. Uh, he was actually killed by, ironically, a king. The kind of king that you and I typically think about. And this is just for free. It's just, this is interesting to me. These guys saw Jesus alive again. These, a lot of people will die for a belief. These guys died saying, I saw that not very many people will die for a flat out lie. Plenty of people even today will die for faith. James, James died at the hand of a wicked king saying, I don't know what you want me to tell you. I saw him alive. I don't know what you want me to tell you. So that just, you can, you know, take or leave that. Uh, verse 41, when the 10 heard about this, so now it's getting interesting. There's 12, James and John sneak away with Jesus like, hey, can we kind of be your guys? And the other 10 here, <laughs> somehow the other 10 hear that this happened. And they're like, not happy. Uh, it says that they became indignant with James and John. So here's Jesus and then these 12 that are supposed to be like, like these guys are walking with Jesus and they're just like fighting and like can't get along. And what happens next brings us to point two, the rulers. Point one is the request. We see the request of James and John. Now we're gonna talk about the rulers. Verse 42, Jesus called them together. So he rallies the guys while they're all arguing and said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. To which we say that sounds about right. 
not much has changed in terms of like human authority. Most of us have been under the authority of somebody. Some of us have been in this kind of authority position where the goal is just to rule and lord over people. This is like, the, this is the Western mindset 101. We climb the ladder at work or in government or in the church or wherever so that at best we feel like our voice can be heard and at worst so that we can just lord over other people. And Jesus, what he's getting at here is this, that the disciples have been watching the wrong leaders. The disciples have been taking notes from the wrong leaders. Jesus says, you see the Gentiles. That's anybody who's not Jewish. Jesus and all his disciples are Jewish. He says, you see the Gentiles and the way that their rulers are lording over their people. Jesus is talking about Caesar and all his buddies who are leading in the area where Jesus is living and doing ministry. Jesus says, you've watched how they do it. The idea that we're getting here is that there's something going on with the disciples where their idea of what Jesus' lordship looks like and what their idea of their kind of partnership with Jesus is, is just way off. We know from history that many of these guys and just the Jewish culture in general believed the Messiah would come and literally like overthrow Rome, take down Caesar, that the throne Jesus sat on would be Jesus' throne. You can picture these guys like, Jesus is Lord, and you just wait, Caesar. Pretty soon you're going to be at my feet. This is James and John. Like, we get to sit on the left and right, and pretty soon the, the tables are going to flip, and all of you are going to have to bow down to us. And Jesus says, you're, you, are, you are taking notes from the wrong kind of leaders. He says in verse 43, not so with you. This is Jesus speaking. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Not the least offensive moment in the life of Jesus. Uh, I love what PhD and New Testament professor Timothy Gettert says about this moment, like the request of James and John and the response of Jesus. He says, the request by James and John is misguided. It's misguided because it assumes that identification with Jesus involving leadership in his cause is characterized by power and honor and glory. Instead, it is characterized by a cup of baptism and a cross. There is glory on the other side of the cross, but James and John want a shortcut to that glory. What kind of king, what, what kind of king says, come and follow my way of leadership? But my way of leadership is not about power, it's not about prestige, it's not about domination. It's about laying your life down for the sake of other people. What kind of king says that? Jesus knows something here about freedom. Cambry and I spent some time living on Capitol Hill, and I don't know what you've heard about Capitol Hill in your news feeds, just like the chop or whatever. Capitol Hill is, I think, beautiful, incredible. Uh, we had a great time living there, beautiful um, people, uh, wonderful friends up there. And there. But what's interesting is there's some, we were noticing the desire in our friends and in our neighbors to find freedom. But everybody was trying to find freedom in a couple different extremes. The pendulum would swing. For most, trying to find freedom looked like living for the moment. Hooking up with whoever, eating at the best restaurants, having the best drinks, staying out late, and at work just trying to climb the ladder and get the next raise or promotion or whatever. But what might surprise you is that Capitol Hill is a very spiritual place as well. 
There's like there's a there's a spirit on Capitol Hill of like new age spirituality mixed with Buddhism. And so what you see as people are looking for freedom in like just hedonism, <laughs> that when it doesn't work, and after if these are friends of ours who are feeling things like, yeah, I just I'm still feeling depressed or I'm still feeling anxious or whatever. You see people, you see the pendulum swing as people are looking for freedom. And it swings to this like spirituality that starts to become about a t- detachment. Starts to become about trying to find a, instead of filling my body with all these things, maybe I'll just remove, like detach my body from everything. If I could just clear my mind of everything. If I could just reach like a state of nirvana. If I could just reach the state where like I'm not attached to a single person or a single thing. I'd like, maybe then I'll be free. And the pendulum just swings back and forth. And what's interesting about freedom in Jesus that he's getting at here is there's this middle way where, where Jesus on one hand says, yeah, don't attach yourself to all these things. They don't, they're not gonna fulfill you. But the point isn't detachment. The point is to attach yourself to me. Jesus says in another place, abide in me as if you're abiding in the vine. That's where, that's where, that's where we bear fruit as we abide in him. This is the way of Jesus to freedom. And he says, I'm gonna lead the way you can follow me. Again, these are guys who like, his early followers, and and these are the disciples, like big picture, these are men and women, following Jesus are under the impression at any moment, he's gonna take up arms and take down Caesar. And finally, our God, our King, our Messiah, and our people are gonna be in control and in power again. And instead, you can imagine the shock when Jesus gets up on a cross and then invites them to come with him. Jesus' invitation is to give our lives away, to lay down our quest for glory, to lay down our need for honor. Notice, this isn't like a call to just become a doormat. In my own life, in moments, like in seasons of life where I have interpreted this to mean that I just need to become a doormat for other people to walk all over. I'm usually not serving other people. I'm serving my own childhood wounds or whatever, and I'm trying to just be liked and loved by everybody. Jesus is saying something totally different. Jesus is saying you can actually walk in confidence because you, there's an identity in me that's unshakable. There's a hope in me that cannot be taken from you. And it's out of that place where we find freedom to just give ourselves away, the way that he gives himself away to us. There's freedom. There, there is a king who will serve you with his life. If you answered yes at the beginning of the sermon to those questions, are you, what are you walking through? Have you felt the anxiety? Have you felt the hopelessness? Have you felt the fear or the worry? There is a king who will minister to you and will empathize with your pain, who will walk with you towards restoration and will invite you to go and do the same for other people. And that brings us to our final line in today's story. Verse 45. Jesus says, for the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We talked about the request, we talked about the rulers, and now we hit our final point, the ransom. What kind of king, what what kind of king comes not just accepting requests, not just giving his life away through his deeds and his actions, but literally giving his life up for other people? What kind of king comes and does that? One scholar says that that word ransom in the Greek uh, is the word lutrin, and the word lutrin emphasizes liberation. I love what J.C. Ryle says in his commentary on Mark. 
he just cuts right to the point and says, the door is wide open, the prisoners may go free. Freedom and liberation. This is the ransom that Jesus gives as he lays down his life. And this should be no surprise. Jesus, if you've read the Gospel of Luke, in Luke 4, Jesus gives us his manifesto for his ministry. It's fascinating because he, he says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Stop right there real quick. The spirit of the Lord is on me. That's like ultimate power that Jesus has. And then that anointed language is king language. Jesus is saying, I'm the anointed king with the power of God. How might you and I abuse that kind of power? I'm coming with the power of God, anointed as king, and what does Jesus do with it? He says, to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. For the poor, there's good news. The oppressed can be set free. For the blind, there's sight. The year of the Lord's favor is being proclaimed. How do we respond to good news like that? And I'm going to give us two practical ways to respond. Through communion and prayer. And I'll explain those in a minute. But I'm just going to say this. If you're not new around here, you're probably thinking that's what we do every week. We do communion and prayer every week. Now, listen, for, for some of us, community... Uh, I'm sorry, communion and prayer are like brand new things this morning. It's, that feels kind of stretching. For others of us, this is really normal. We do this every week. We receive prayer, we pray for each other, we take communion. Let me just say this. Let's not allow, for those of you like me, where this is something that we do regularly, let's not allow routine to take the place of wonder and reverence. We're doing this as a response today because this is the deep end of following Jesus at Anchor. It's living in community, it's praying, and it's the sacrament of communion. Communion, for those of you who are, might be new to church or maybe uh, grew up in a different tradition, communion here at Anchor is for those who, are, who have been following Jesus. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a lifetime. Maybe today you're like, I, I don't quite know what this means, but I think I'm all in with Jesus. It's for you too. And it's for anybody else who's following Jesus but is somewhere else on that journey. If you're following Jesus, community is an opportunity for you to come forward and to be physically reminded of the body and blood of Jesus, the ransom that was paid. As you receive communion, you'll hear those words. This is the body of Jesus broken for you. The blood of Jesus shed for you. And then we're going to pray. These prayer stations on the left and right will be open to receive prayer in this time of worship and communion and prayer. Um, and and here's what I want to say about prayer, just briefly. Um, number one, Jesus, to my knowledge, I haven't seen, he's not in the room right now, like in the flesh, right? Our Bibles tell us Jesus right now is in heaven. And yet we're given this both and, that Jesus is always with his people. And the way that's possible is by the presence and the person of the Holy Spirit. God's spirit is with us. Today and in these next few moments as we take communion, as we pray, and as we worship. Here's why that, that matters for a whole lot of things. Um, that matters for prayer. Because I'll say this, that we have a king who listens to requests, even bad requests like James and John's. And if he gets a bad request, he doesn't shame, he doesn't shame James and John. He doesn't shame you and me. 
He might give some correction. He might give some teaching. Sometimes when we pray, Jesus has to say no to, to whatever it is we're praying for. Sometimes it's yes, but in a different way. But what, that's true. Hear me say that. But I don't, sometimes things like that are said as a bit of a cop-out to like, don't expect to actually have your prayer answered, you know? Yes, yeah, sometimes Jesus says no. Sometimes he says yes, but in a different way. But sometimes Jesus says, okay. And this king has an ear bent towards his people. So whatever it is that you need prayer for, these prayer stations are open for you to come and receive prayer. And there are, st- I can tell you stories in my own life that some feel really miraculous and some feel kind of common, but no, but no less miraculous, of ways that people have prayed and that God has like provided in miraculous ways. He's done that for our family just recently. Sometimes God wants to just like, he's waiting for us to ask and he will answer a prayer. And so like hold your prayer with an open hand, but man, I didn't just encourage you to receive prayer from these wonderful people and just have faith. God, this is what I'm asking for. And I'm trusting that you're a king whose ear is bent towards your people. We're gonna take communion. We're gonna pray. We're gonna worship. And as we do, let's remember Jesus, the servant king. He's a different kind of ruler. He comes to serve, make no mistake, but he's the king. It brings him joy to minister to his people by the presence of his spirit. I mentioned he's a king who takes requests. So come and ask. And let us remember that we we serve Jesus, the servant king who has paid the ransom. What is it that you're ashamed of today? He covered it on the cross. What is it that you feel like is holding you in bondage? He, he, He offers to set you free. What's blinding you of hope? He is here to give you eyes to see light again. What bad news are you carrying in your mind or in your body? Jesus is here to preach the gospel to us and to remind us of the good news the unshakable foundation of good news that is his gospel, even in the midst of pain. And it's with that good news on our minds and on our hearts that we step into the following moments. Uh, Would you stand with me as you're able? And let's remember as we take communion, as we pray, as we worship, that Jesus, the servant king, is in our midst by the spirit. So as we enter into these next few moments, together we ask, come Holy Spirit. Proclaim freedom for the prisoners. Set us free, God. Proclaim recovery of sight for the blind. Come and heal and give vision, God. Set the oppressed free. Rescue us from oppression, spiritual and otherwise. And God, would you proclaim to our hearts, to our minds, by your spirit, even in the midst of our pain and suffering, would you proclaim to us the year of the Lord's favor. Remind us of your gospel. Amen.